0: An old vet told my father when he was a student in Glasgow. He said, uh, if you want to be a success in veterinary practice, just keep the bowels open and trust the rest to God.
1: And the grain of truth I've got is that the best veterinarian in the world's mother nature leave the thing alone. The wistful reminiscing of a couple of old-time vets. James Herriot and all creatures great and small evoke memories of old-style vetting. Many of us would have read the books or seen the old television series filmed in the 70s. As is often the case with good things, there is a new television series based on the books that is bringing a whole new generation in contact with vetting in the Yorkshire Dales. Just as they are redoing the television series, I thought I would redo an old podcast I recorded a few years ago. Now, most of you will know that James Herriot was a pseudonym, and the vet who wrote the books was Alf White, I was lucky enough to catch up with Jim White, who is Elf's son and a veterinarian as well. We start off discussing the world of James Herriot, which is a tourism attraction come veterinary museum that is located in the old original practice in Thirsk in the UK. Unfortunately, as I record this, it has just temporarily closed due to the new restrictions brought about by covid
0: You are listening to The Vet Podcast, presented by veterinarian Dr Brian Greger from New Zealand. Join us as we discuss pet health issues from around the world.
1: In the small town of Thirsk in Yorkshire in the UK, there is a very popular attraction called the World of James Herriot. Who better to talk to us about it than Jim White? Now Jim is Elf White's son, and Elf wrote under the pseudonym of none other. Than James Herriot. To anyone who has read the James Herriot books or seen the television series, Scaldale House was the epicentre of the action. The real Scaldale House was at 23 Dayton Thrisk. Now it has become the home of the world of James Herriot. Jim, how did this transformation from veterinary practice to tourist attraction come about?
0: Well, what happened was, Brian, that our practice had, had transformed from a mainly agricultural practice in my father's day in the 1940s and 50s uh, to a very much a s- more small animal orientated. And the old house was no longer suited to, uh, dare I say, we we're, were trying to be a pro- progressive small animal practice. That, coupled with the desperate situation of parking vehicles outside, meant that we had to really vacate the building. And we've, the practice now has built a a new one, purpose-built practice, on the outskirts of Thirsk. When this happened, the local district council decided they would purchase this premises and make a tourist attraction in the memory of James Herriot. That is how it started.
1: If I was to visit 23 Kirkgate, what would I see? You would see the,
0: the practice uh, premises, which doubled as a family home, because I lived there as well as a small boy. You would see it as it was, in the 1940s up to the early 1950s when we left the place. Uh, you will see the old family stuff, family heirlooms of James Herriot's family. You will also see uh, it, it's, a, it's a, really the only museum in the country that is one dedicated really to veterinary history. Um, you'll see lots of placards on the wall devoted to the history of the veterinary profession, There's lots of ancient instruments that they used to use in those days. Um, You'll see a film um, about James Harriot. You'll see a biographical department depicting his life, his ups and downs of his life. In fact, you can spend anywhere between two hours and about six hours in there, depending if you want to try and read everything. There's also a department dedicated to, to the kids, because trying to reach out to the younger generation, some of whom, of course, weren't brought up with James Herriot as we were. Um, All little games they can play, practising to be a vet and see what the knowledge of animals and farms are and so
1: on. It's a very entertaining place. One of the pictures that I've seen is with a girl with sort of a classic veterinary pose of her hand up the back end of a cow. So obviously things are are quite interactive there. What would be your favourite interactive segment of the whole shooting. Box. Well, they
0: all love that one. They love putting the hand up the cage. You know, it's a funny thing, isn't it, Brian, that people think vets spend the 90% of the time with the hands up cows backside. Um, which of course we don't, the practice doesn't do so much now because it's, it's, it's ultrasound, <laughs> but nevertheless, the public think this is a, I, I would add, however, that in the Yorkshire winters, when I was a young vet, uh, being a hand, having a hand up there on a really cold day was nice and warm, you know, <laughs> but, uh, this girl is, has her hand up. She's, they're practising to, to see if they're strong enough. There's a calf's foot in there, basically. It's a carving situation. And there's a calf's foot. They're going to see if they're strong enough to, to carve the cow. And they seem to love this.
1: Now, were the TV shows actually filmed in this building?
0: No, no, no. Nothing was
1: filmed in the building. Well, they couldn't film in our building. It, it was
0: a working veterinary practice because they were, they, they were in the 70s and early 80s, the late 70s, early 80s, when they were filming All Creatures Great and Small. Well, they couldn't come to us. Uh, we were we were a, a working, a very busy veterinary practice. Um, most of the indoor stuff, the filming of the indoor stuff, was down to a place called Pebble Mill in Birmingham, in the Midlands, and other veterinary surgeons were involved there.
1: So you actually worked out of this building. Yes. Yes. So what what do you feel like now when you actually enter the building and see it dressed up in its finery as it as it was so many years ago?
0: Well, it's very, it's very nostalgic, Brian. To be quite honest, you know, it's. Uh, I've got used to it now because we've been in the place so often. There are so many visitors from all over the world coming to the world of James Herriot, um, and my sister Rosie and I. Uh, we help out and we show we show them round the place and give them some of the inside stories about the James Herriot stories, what the real the real events were, and and yeah, when it was first opened, it was very nostalgic indeed to see a place where I used to be a small boy, you know, and uh, all coming back to life again. Yeah, very nostalgic.
1: Jim, I've always been fascinated by old veterinary instruments. Yeah. Now, it looks as if you've got a great exhibition of old veterinary instruments. What, in your opinion, would be the most bizarre instrument that you've got in the large collection that you have there?
0: Well, there are some instruments there, Brian, that nobody knows what they are. They're so amazingly, weirdly fangled instruments that even the members of the Veterinary History Society here, uh, people even older than me, um, don't know what on earth they are. Um, Some of the bizarre ones that that I, well, that strike home with me are the the incredible things for conjuring calves out of cows in the days before caesarean section. Some of the weird embryo tomes and winching apparatus. Some of these winches that they used to put on cows to winch them, winch the calves out. They look more like raising the Titanic than pulling a calf out of a cow, you know. Um, I think we've made tremendous progress there. There's a lot of those. There's a lot of strange and weird castration instruments too. Yeah, anybody coming there that's interested in veterinary instruments, if you're interested you should pay a visit to this place because you'd be absolutely fascinated. In fact, you might be able to tell us what
1: some of them are. <laughs> <laughs> I may have some of them in the back of my truck still.
0: So, <laughs> <laughs> some of them stand the test of time. Exactly. You know, the old, the old houseman gags and things like that. I, oh, I used those right until, the, until I retired in the early 2000s.
1: As a veterinarian like myself who has seen a lot of changes in veterinary medicine, I'll put you on the spot here and ask you what do you think has been the biggest development in veterinary medicine from your father's time till now?
0: Oh, I think basically the development is the march of knowledge. And when my dad started, there was still a lot of black magic treatments going on, you know, weird sort of old-fashioned treatments like witchcraft, really. I think the development of drugs like the antibiotics and the corticosteroids and all the wonderful advances in anaesthesia, together with an awareness of our customers, the farmers, they've become far more knowledgeable in looking after their animals. I think these are the great developments in veterinary practice. Uh, I don't know what it's like in New Zealand, but another development that's happened has been a tremendous upsurge in small animal practice in this country. People preparing to spend so much more on their pets, on their animals. So a lot of practices are now very much small animal orientated. And I think that the knowledge that's that the, we've accrued over the years the tremendous developments um, technical developments in veterinary practice and the development of special, specialist centres doing things like um, working on, the, on ophthalmic stuff, you know, the, taking out cataracts and, and doing hip replacements and these types, we're never heard of in my father's day these, these development of these big specialist centres and it can only be good because we're dealing with an ever more demanding public aren't we rightly so They they, they pay for our services and they expect the best.
1: I look at my practice pharmacy now and it's got so many drugs and they're both human and veterinary and I think back to when I qualified, which was over 30 years ago now, and medical arsenal was only a fraction of of what we have got now. What was the situation in your dad's time?
0: Well, of course, this is the day before he had any antibiotics to treat infections and so they were putting things like mustard plasters onto calves with pneumonia and... uh, and they were putting diesel oil onto animals with skin diseases and all this sort of weird things. In fact, I remember he used to tell me that with horses with colic, they used to stuff raw onions up the rectum of horses with colic, you know, this sort of thing. My dad used to like these cases because he used to take the onions out. He used to cure them by taking the onions out. But uh, then suddenly, of course, the way it's changed, he suddenly had the modern drugs. And then overnight, almost, the vet became the magician with a needle. There were great days for the vet there, the magic man with the needle. You know, these days have gone.
1: So the, these old treatments that they're using, the onions and the, the mustard poultices, did they work? I think some of them used to,
0: used to work. there always was a little bit of um, truth in some of these old, uh, and logic in some of these old witchcraft treatments. I mean, if you look at the world of James Herriot at some of the, the stands in the old pharmacy, some of the stuff, the, the stuff they used to drench down calves with, with husk, parasitic bronchitis, mixtures with ether and turpentine and arsenic and all these things. I mean, they used to, half of them used to kill the patient, let alone the worms. Uh, some of them used to work, especially the castor oil. You know, I don't know what it's like in New Zealand, but the old-fashioned farmers here, a stoppage was the worst thing an animal could have. You know, they used to call castor oil opening medicine.
1: Yeah, exactly, castor oil and ginger powder.
0: Oh, wonderful stuff. I mean, an old vet told my father when he was a student in Glasgow, that we, oh, God, when he was in the 1930s, he said, uh, if you want to be a success in veterinary practice, just keep the bowels
1: open and trust the rest to God, you <laughs> know.
0: <laughs> a little v- grain of truth there as well.
1: Clearing <laughs> the grain of truth I've got that the best veterinarian in the world's mother nature, leave the thing alone. <laughs> moving on moving on you've, you've alluded to it earlier um small animal surgeries it's really becoming a big part of veterinary practice these days and a lot of that is actually surgery now we've got advanced anaesthetic machines our young surgeons wouldn't consider anesthetizing a patient without a machine connecting it having a number of monitors measuring every body function it can and most particularly it's got to go beep um, Back in the early days, I would imagine that anaesthetics wouldn't be quite so high-tech.
0: They certainly weren't. I mean, when I came to the practice, I worked somewhere else first, but I came to the practice in 1967. Nearly all the operations were sent away to a a small animal practice. They weren't done uh, at Thirsk here. Um, So I just bought myself a little to-and-fro anaesthetic operation with a carbon dioxide absorber, you know, And did a little bit of our closed circuit anaesthesia, as it was, and we started doing our own operations. Prior to that, it was putting their noses into masks of ether. Uh, I mean, you could smell the ether down the street outside our surgery, just an open mask. Goodness knows if anybody got a cigarette in the place, you know, because the place they could have blown the place up. It was very, talk about high-tech, it was just exactly the opposite. But, you know, my dad was such a, he, he said he described himself as a nervous anesthetist. And whenever I was operating or he was helping, he never took his eyes off the animal. You know, this is what used to worry him. He said all this high-tech stuff that was coming in. He said, nevertheless, you've still got to watch your patient. Because if it stops breathing, you've got to do something.
1: <laughs> so he was very good that way. As I have said previously, as of now, which is early November 2020, the world of James Herriot is currently closed due to the COVID lockdown. I have put a link to their website on the Vet Podcast website, which is vetpodcast.weebly.com. Even though it is closed, it is well worth checking out online. If you haven't seen the latest version of All Creatures Great and Small, it is well worth a watch, and don't forget the old 70s series, as well as the box.
0: To find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, just search at Vet Podcast and like us while you are there. Subscribe to us on your usual podcast player, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please rate us on your player and share us with your friends. Our website is vetpodcast.weebly.com. Weebly is W E E B L Y. Or email vetpodcast at gmail.com.